Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's great to be with you as we continue our series. Uh, I can relate. I enjoyed last week. It was a challenging week. I was surprised at how many conversations I had following the message on Sunday throughout the week of people discussing uh, this. And it's a, it, as we talked about, the importance of deep friendships, the deep relationships, committed relationships with one another. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting digging into those things, talking about those things together. Um, and, and I hope that the rest of this series is just as challenging as we, as we wrestle with some of these things, that we weren't meant to walk life alone. And so what does that look like in terms of relating with one another? Now, I have to say that today, this weekend, I think you need to keep us men in prayer. Um, it's a challenging weekend because we have, it's, it's our Christmas today. And then directly following it, we have a day of very high responsibilities. And, uh, and knowing if any men are like me, it's a very last minute event, uh, Valentine's Day. And so it's like back to back. There's just a lot to get done. And so guys, I, I, I feel for you. I am with you in spirit. Um, just make sure early Monday morning, if you don't get out today, make sure early Monday morning, you're the first person in Albertsons or wherever getting, you know, uh, box of chocolates and, uh, and, and flowers. Um, feel especially for me, my wife's birthday is on the 9th, so it's like boom, boom, boom. So I, I got a lot going on, but, uh, but we all have our crosses to bear as it were. Um, but, uh, no, it's so great to, to, to continue this series. So, so today is, I'm going to kind of take a different approach. Um, we've talked a lot about Peter in the last several months. Have you guys noticed I like preaching about Peter? I've, I've mentioned that I kind of see my reflection in Peter. I see a lot of myself there. We're going to talk about one of his cohorts, one of his amigos, uh, by the name of John today. You see, John was another disciple of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, John and his brother James were also fishermen like Peter and Andrew. So Peter and Andrew were brothers. There was another set of brothers that followed Jesus named John and, and his brother James. And these guys were fishermen and their reputation somehow earned them the nickname with Jesus uh, as the sons of thunder. I don't know what kind of things you have to do to earn that nickname as the sons of thunder. I don't know if it's their dad that really got them that nickname. I think it's more along their personality types. Maybe they were just loud people. Um, we used to live on the coast when I was a kid I was, um, until I was about 11 years old. We lived in Newport and we had a lot of fishermen in, in our church and they were gruff guys. They were big guys. And most of them were missing certain digits of their hands from fishing accidents. Um, and, and they're just burly kind of guys. I wonder if that has something to do with it. It could have been that he was just an obnoxious person. He was hard headed. Um, it could have something to do with bodily functions. I don't know. Um, I think it could have definitely had something to do with his temper. Um, the Bible doesn't elaborate. We can make our own suppositions. We can kind of arrive at how did Jesus come up with sons of thunder. But something in his personality trait reflected that he should be called a son of thunder. And so um, it occurs through the, through, the, through the Gospels in the book of Mark um, that John and his brother are having a debate. John and Andrew are having a brotherly uh, argument, as it were, and they come up to Jesus and they decide Jesus is going to settle this for us. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It says this, so then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, aka sons of thunder, came over and spoke to him. Jesus, they said, we want you to do us a favor. In some translations, they, it's like, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's pretty bold. So they go to Jesus and say, we want you to do us a favor. And Jesus asks, what's your request? And they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, 
we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, we are able, they replied. I like the confidence of these guys. They're some brass dudes. They're like, oh, yeah. They don't even know what Jesus is talking about. If someone were like, that's very poetic, be like, can you suffer like I'm suffering? And they're like, yes, we can do that thing. And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're asking. So Jesus says, tells them, you, you indeed will drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Now, when I've read this in the past, I've read this as though they're like upset for Jesus' sake. They're like, how dare you guys? That is so brash. But do you know what they actually were probably going? How dare you ask who's on the right and the left? We know it should be me. Peter's like, have you seen me, guys? I've walked on water. I was kind of a bi- I'm kind of a big deal. He told everyone that I'm a rock that he's going to build the church on. I'm obviously on the right. So their indignancy is not so much like for the sake of Jesus, like let's really defend Jesus. It's more like I deserve this, not the other guys. And so an argument ensues about who's going to sit on Jesus's right or left hand. So Jesus calls them together. He has this little powwow and he says, you know, the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Who can say amen to that? But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, you guys are all jostling and jockeying for who's going to be first, who's going to be sitting right next to me at my side in heaven and, 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 and be recognized as like numero two, you know, I am assistant to the regional manager. I want to be the guy. And Jesus says, that's, you guys are missing the point. Trying to be the first, trying to be number one, uh, doesn't matter. And so John and his brother here are really being buffoons. They're being, we look back and we can be so critical. We can click our tongue, dum-dums. What are you doing? It's so easy to sit back here in history and look forward and say, oh, you dum-dums. But, but, but in the context of discipleship, remember we talked about rabbis and their disciples. There was a number one disciple. There was one that walked the closest to the, fa- to, to the, to the, to the, to the leader. There was one that was the most covered in the dust of the rabbi. And so they were arguing over who was going to be that person. It was kind of a natural discussion for them, but, but, but it's, it's so foolish looking back. And so I'm sure John in retrospect, looking back was very ashamed of this moment. As a matter of fact, uh, John writes five of the books of the Bible we have in the New Testament. He writes the book of John, um, which is one of the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation. Now, in his Gospel, in the book of John, where he tells the story of Jesus, for some reason he omits this part of the story. I think it probably didn't reflect well on him. I probably would have admitted my mistakes too. So he doesn't mention this story. But, uh, but, um, but, but in this story, Jesus calls this powwow. He brings these, people, these guys around him and he says, Listen, you guys, my kingdom operates in a different way than, the world this, than this world operates. Out here in the world, in our world, people know you are great by the power you hold, by the authority you hold. 
by the, the letters you can put after your signature or your name, or the, the title that might be on your door, or, or whatever you can show that, that maybe it's on the badge of the car you drive, or on the label of the clothes you wear. There's a power and authority that you can gain and build and impose. But among Jesus' disciples, he says, it's going to look completely different. You become great by serving, by putting others before yourselves. And Jesus says this to the disciples, and it goes right over their heads. Somehow they just, pew, just all these words Jesus is saying, they are missing it. I, I, I can't imagine how discouraging it had to be for Jesus to tell them this very important thing and to get 12 sets of just blank looking eyes looking at them. As he's talking, you guys, that's not what the kingdom looks like. I'm, I'm telling you that the kingdom is built around, around servanthood. About it's, not, it's an upside down way of thinking that you're not trying to put yourself first, but you're actually finding a way to serve others. And they all just stare at him blankly. And so the, the, we, we know that they miss this because, as a matter of fact, in Jesus' last days of ministry, he, he is uh, um, just about to have a dinner with them. It's a very important dinner. It's the last meal he's going to share with his disciples. And they go to this feast. It's called the Passover feast. It's the height of all of the Jewish calendar. This is the moment that everybody looks forward to. And they meet for this big dinner. It's like your Thanksgiving dinner. And they walk in and... It's time to eat, but the problem is no one has washed feet. You see, back in the day, they didn't have really nice closed-toed shoes like we have right now. The only option was Birkenstocks. That was the only business open at the time. And so everybody wore their sandals around, and there was no pavement. Everything was dirt. Everything was dust. If it rained, it was mud. If there were animals, it was that kind of mud. It was everywhere, and you walked through it. You experienced all of it. And then when you walk in a house, my wife has this rule. She says, it may be cultural or whatnot, but when you come in my home, you take off your shoes, Brent. And it drives her nuts because I didn't grow up doing that, and it's been a habit. It's been really hard to break. And she's like, get those shoes out of here. That's been, who knows where you've walked, you know, and you've been walking the dog, and you've been doing all this. Take your shoes off. There, you took your sandals off, then you washed those feet. You don't go in someone's home carrying in all the nastiness and, and the sweat that you've been building up on your feet and all that caked on your feet and walking through the house. And so there was a servant there that would be waiting to wash your feet as you came in so that you tracked in nice, rosy-smelling feet rather than... Everything you've been walking through outside. They come in for this formal dinner. It's a very top of their calendar. Everything is supposed to be there. Everything is excellent. There's no one, no servant there to wash feet. And I think there's kind of this awkward face-off of what are we going to do about this? People looking back and forth at each other. There's no servant. And some of you guys are going, I didn't realize there's going to be so much talk about feet today. This is disgusting. I promise I'm almost done. But... Uh, Jesus then responds. And this is in the book of John. So in John's gospel, in chapter 13, starting in verse 3, this is what Jesus does. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. Let's pause. John says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and had come from God, so he got up from the table and he washed his feet. He knew 
who he was. Did you catch that at the beginning of this verse? Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority. Jesus knew who he was, that he was literally the creator of all things, that God had given him authority over everything. And in this knowledge of authority and the standards that he had, he got up and washed his feet. By our standards, that would mean to me, one of you get over here and start scrubbing, right? If, if I was the boss, if I was the CEO, if I was Jeff Bezos, I would not be the one doing the, the menial labor. I would be the one saying, get to work. Someone do this. Do you know who I am? Jesus is so much bigger than any person or anything like that. And yet he, God himself, takes a towel, wraps it around himself, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus was able to do this, and this is so important, because he knew who he was. Did you catch that? He knew who he was in the kingdom of God. He was completely secure in stooping down and washing the disciples' feet because he knew who he was. See, the problem in our world is people feel like the task that they take on is what defines them. Oh, did you hear that? If I'm doing something, this is how people see me. This is how people understand me. This is now the definition of who I am. And so we, we resist those things because that's the label that will be put on us. And Jesus said, I know who I am. I'm not concerned about the label or whatever else is going on because I know who I am, who the Father has called me. All things are underneath me. I know who I am. And so in Jesus' confidence in who he is and his knowledge of who he is, he was able to serve through who he was. And so Jesus does this, and after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? I'm sure he was thinking back to the prior conversations about who was going to sit on the right and on the left. He says, do you know what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So Jesus expresses that the top priority is that we serve one another and serve and love one another above any other thing. He says, look at the model I just set for you. Look at the example I just placed for you. This is what you are to do. This is how you're to treat each other. And he demonstrates it. And I believe that when this event happens, when this moment happens, you know, before John was standing there with the disciples arguing over who was going to get to sit at the right and the left, but when this event happens, I think that John's perspective completely changes. There's there's a transformation that happens with John, because I think that when we are washed by Jesus, everything changes. And so John is washed by Jesus. His priorities suddenly change. His purposes change. His goals change. The things we count to success change when we are washed by Jesus. And so John is washed by Jesus and there's a a transformation. Um, And we can see that because, as I mentioned, John wrote other books of the Bible in the New Testament. And when we look at the books he wrote, we can see this transformational thinking. We can see this new way of approach. John writes this other book called 1 John. And we can see this son of thunder, this one that was jockeying to see who could sit at Jesus' right hand or left hand. Suddenly, look at the change in approach that John has. Read this with me. John 3, verse 10. It says this. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. And this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. 
If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. Whoa. John has become a hippie. Peace and love, man. I mean, all he talks about is love. As a matter of fact, from chapter 3 on, did you know John uses the word love, agape, more than 30 times? He goes through and he's just talking about love, love, love. And so it's important we define love. I've talked about this before, that in the same breath I say I love my wife, I can say I love tacos. And hopefully those are very different things. Our word love covers a very broad spectrum in English, right? We can say love and love. And so we hope that there's a a more... uh, real approach to what love means when we're talking about someone that we're committed to and a food, right? We, we have a differentiation. But uh, the Greek and the Hebrew actually had multiple different words for love that they were able to separate and differenti- differentiate these things. So in the Greek, which is what John was writing in, there's three different words for, words for love. Many of you are probably familiar with them. The first one is eros. Eros is the uh, word from which we get the word erotic. It's sexual love. It's, it's, it's physical love. The second word for love they use is phileo, which is brotherliness, companionship, or friendship. This, is, this, is, this can be two different types of love. This can be like a brotherly friendship type of love, like I really love you, man. I've, I've got feelings of affection for you. It also can mean like Twitter patient. You know that wonderful feeling of just that, that, that warm, bubbly feeling when, when you're with someone. It can be towards someone of the opposite gender. Uh, it can be towards someone of the same gender. You just have a great feeling of, oh, it's affection. I love my sons like that. I just be looking at them you know, during the day and be like, oh, I love that kid and I'll just squeeze him and you're like let me go dad please put me down my friends are watching that kind of feeling it's an emotion that comes over us it's a it's a feeling of that love but then the greatest love in the Greek is agape love it's the highest form of love that Jesus calls us to that Jesus calls his followers to and that John writes about agape love is an is other centered love it's focused on the other. You see, I, I like phileo love because it makes me feel good. I love the warm fuzzy of affection. I love the warm fuzzy of that feeling of, I like you so much. But, but agape love says, I am committed to you even if I don't feel it. Even if it doesn't feel good to me, I am committed for your good. I am in it for your good. I'm other-centered, unconditionally serving you for your benefit. And this is the love that John talks about. He says, you need to have this kind of love. And from that section we just read here, it's important that we understand that this love that he's talking about is a love that rejects hatred. We need to have a love that rejects hatred. And it seems so simple. You're like, sure, we should not hate people. let's, Let's talk about hatred. Hatred is not just like, man, I literally hope you die. That's not the hatred we're talking about. We're talking about jealousy, envy, rage, that cold shoulder that will never let down. John says if we live in that way, we're dead. He says we're murderers at heart and we're still living in the dead flesh. We're, we're dead. And the, the irony is that when we live righteously, he says, we then become a target of hate. Isn't that interesting? He says you can hate and, 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 and you're going to be living in death. But if you live as Christ has called us, then you're going to be a target of hate from the world. And this is the same thing that Jesus was talking about. When we live in love, um, Jesus says, don't be surprised when the world is going to hate you. Agape, the sacrificial selfless love, is against the flow of how the world would want to operate. The world, the way the world says we need to love is, you love me, I love you back. 
You scratch my back, I scratch your back. We make, we make those, those, those agreements, those subtleties. Maybe they're not even spoken things uh, that, that are kind of uh, these, these unspoken rules that if you treat me well, I'll treat you well. You smile at me, I'll smile at you. But if you cut me off in traffic, but if you wave me in, I'll be nice to you and wave back and say thank you. There's this back and forth, right? But Jesus says we're supposed to live this agape love that actually is in contrast to the darkness around us. It's we are distinct and light in a dark place. But the problem is people that like living in the darkness are comfortable with that surrounding of, of being able to hold grudges, being able to hate, hold hate in their hearts. They aren't going to like it because that, that, that light's going to make them skeptical. That light is going to make some feel threatened. For some, they're going to mock it. How weak of you. You are such a weak person. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more like Jesus we become in the world, the more the world is going to reject us. Isn't that a crazy thing? I like to think that the more like Jesus I become, the more people are like, wow, what a great person. And I hope that's true in some levels. But the truth is, the more like Jesus we become, the more in contrast to the world we we become. And and that agape love actually stands in contrast to the values of our world. And we we can actually become sources and and, and targets of, of, of vitriol from our world. And so we need to actually stand in contrast to hate. We need to love those that hate us. We need to serve those that wish ill upon us. Moving on, John says this in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it... Or, sorry, not moving on. This is what Jesus said to reiterate. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Hmm. So, continuing on, John says in verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, it says God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. That's moving on later. But here's what we can see is that love, we're called to a love that is sacrificial. A love that is sacrificial. John says we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Isn't it interesting that just a couple sentences ago, John is talking about Cain killing Abel, right? And wishing ill on someone is like being a murderer. He's talking about all these death things. But then he turns it here and he talks about the opposite, that love brings life. That Jesus laid down his life so that we could have life. It lays down so that others can take up. It's important to understand what it says in verse 16, where it says, Jesus willingly laid down his life for us so that we could live. It was voluntary. Jesus willingly gave, laid down his life. I've, I've heard some commentaries and some people say that Jesus was murdered. Jesus was not murdered. At any given moment, Jesus could have called on a, a, a multitude of angels and they could have lifted him up. But Jesus willingly took himself to the cross for us. He laid down his life for us. He had the power within his hands to turn, to turn it around, but he willingly laid down his life. And if we are living in the truth of Jesus' sacrifice for us, The only natural and appropriate response is for us to lay down our lives for others. John lays it out for us. He says, in very real terms, he he says, if you have enough money to live well, and you see a brother or sister in need, and you don't show compassion, is there even love in you? 
I don't like just giving my money away, especially when I like to kind of think about how they're going to use the money. I can, I can give all kinds of reasons and explanations on why it's not the best, on how I can give other ways or do other things, but he is talking in a very real way. As a matter of fact, he, he switches from, from the plural because he's talking about dear brothers and sisters, and then he goes to the singular. He's talking about an actual event in time. He says, if you see a brother or you see a sister in need and you don't do something, how is love living in you if you're not acting out? If you have the means, how is love living in you? In the King James Version, it says, how can we live with just word or tongue, but not in deeds and in truth? We can't just say the words. We can't just proclaim things. Those are empty. Those are meaningless. I can say all kinds of platitudes and nice things, but if it doesn't have substance, it's empty and void. And that's what he's challenging them with. He's saying, brothers and sisters, if you're not acting out in love, where is it? Mother Teresa said, love cannot remain by itself. It has, or love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action, and that action is in service. Maybe for you, your pocketbook's not heavy. You're not able to actually step out and help, but is there action to your love? Is there action to your love? More than just the church as a whole, or helping people as a whole. I like to kind of think in just kind of groups, you know. I give to a, a cause, and it's, it's a nice feeling because you're kind of just kind of throwing it out there into the ethos, the overall good, good vibes. But two specific situations, am I active in loving people? Because to withhold help is to deny the presence of God's love in our hearts. Whew, that's heavy. To withhold help is to deny the presence of God's love in our hearts. There's a cartoon of two turtles talking to each other and one says, I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty and famine and injustice when he could do something about it. And the other turtle says back, I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. I'm not sure why they were turtles talking. That's all, I, I, don't, I don't have a good explanation for that. But you get the gist. Turtles. But we're not only to meet material needs, but also we're supposed to just give of ourselves to others. There's so many in our church in need of love, and they would welcome friendship. They're looking for someone to connect with. We talked about last week, where is that, where is that companion, that friend that, that, that I can actually tether my soul to? And we have many people that come to church, though, that with the mindset, of, I'm here to have my needs met. I'm here to, 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 to get filled up. And, 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 and often they leave frustrated because others aren't meeting their needs. Or the church isn't meeting their needs. When in reality, we are here to serve one another. We are here to both serve and then our, in turn our needs are met. Because we are not just consumers, but we are contributors. And so, um, so when we live in love and serve in love, both needs are met. And finally, John goes on to talk about this, and we can draw that those who live in love live ultimately in confidence. Those who live in love live in confidence. First John 13, 18, he says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty... We can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. Let me tell you this. Our feelings are deceitful. Don't follow your heart. Follow God. 
Our feelings will mislead us. Our emotions will misguide us. And, and he, John talks about it here. He says, guilt can make us feel unworthy. He says, John says here that he says, our, um, in verse, in verse 20, he says, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. You see, our feelings can deceive us. The enemy wants to come in and let guilt just drive us and ride us and push us down and feel overwhelmed. But there is a confidence when we live when we live in love. As part of the process of getting your pilot's license, there's a portion of training called flying blind. Um, the instructor will have the trainee put on this special kind of hood that makes it really difficult for the pilot trainee, trainee to look out the window. I was just reading about a guy's story that he was doing this. And the purpose is for the pilot to not rely on their physical sensations, on what they can see outside the ground and all those things, but rather to begin to trust the instruments, their artificial horizon, their turn and bank indicators, their altimeters, their airspeed indicators, their gyroscopic compass, the radio beam receivers. These are things I don't know all about. But they trust all these dials and gauges because they're reliable. They can be trusted. Physical sensations cannot be trusted. If you were flying through heavy fog and you're looking out the windows and just feel like the ground is still a long ways off, your feelings are going to fail you. The movement of the plane is going to not be reliable. The, 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 all these different things, the engine noise, the movement are deceiving. You need to trust the, 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 uh, the instruments that you have. In the same way, when we put our trust in God, when we act in love with faith trusting God, we are actually putting feet to that. When we struggle with, am I really loved by God? When we struggle with uh, guilt and all these things weighing us down, when we act in love, when we put feet to it and act out, we, what we're doing is putting trust in the instruments that we've been given. And we're practicing that because the more a pilot practices flying instruments only, the stronger they get, the stronger their trust in the, those instruments, the better they become at trusting those things. If you find yourself continually saying, God, I'm having a hard time trusting that you really have what's good for me. I have a hard time trusting that you really forgive me and love me. I have a hard time trusting these things, God. Is it real? Have you been acting and trusting in love and practicing using the instruments that God has given us, as John's talking about here? Because when we do, that faith will grow. Suddenly we'll begin to be renewed in that knowledge. I was just watching a video this last week. Um, the uh, Assemblies of God lost one of our uh, great leaders, George Wood, the former general superintendent of the Assemblies of God for uh, the United States, passed away a couple weeks ago. And in, in an interview with him, he was talking about how he had had a lifetime struggle with, does God really love me in particular? And I was thinking, this is a guy who's leading a movement, one of the greatest movements, uh, Pentecostal movements across the world. Millions and millions of, of Assemblies of God adherents and, fall, and, and, and church members. And this man is a man that struggles with, does God really love me? But he talked through how God re, re, renewed his knowledge that he is truly loved by God. He, he talked about a nightmare he had as a child, but suddenly this realization in stage four cancer of this knowledge that God loves me deeply and that his spiritual position felt more strong than it ever had been in his entire life. And it wasn't based on his physical circumstances. He was at death's door, but it was because of the knowledge of what God had renewed and restored to him and practicing trusting the instruments. So when we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. When we live out in love, our confidence, and we live confident lives and our real actions of living out love increase that trust. The more we practice it, the stronger we become in that trust. And 
John goes on to say that that confidence ultimately transforms our prayer life. He says that we can approach God with boldness and that we know that we're going to receive whatever we ask of God. That when we have this confidence, when we come to God in confidence, we know that we'll receive whatever we need. So it's time to start living out love, trusting the instruments, seeing what God does, develops in us. It's time to start loving those that are maybe unlovely, unlovable, difficult to love. That love that says, I'm going to agape love beyond what's comfortable, beyond what's just makes me feel the warm fuzzy, beyond all those things. I'm going to love you because I'm committed to you as God called me to be. Erwin McManus says this, that you cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if you refuse to touch it. We need to get our hands dirty. Say, it's time to love. The world may turn against me, but I'm just going to keep following Jesus ever closer. Love compels me to serve. This morning, let's engage with that. Let's engage with that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we respond to the Father. Lord, that we would not have the priorities that the world has as priorities. Numero uno. You do you. You put yourself where you need to be because you've earned it. You deserved it. But Lord, we would have a confidence in who we are in you. And through that knowledge of who you have called us, we could serve because we love people as you love people. That agape would live in our hearts this week as we go about our days, Lord, and our conversations. That they would be seasoned with love, Lord. When, when, when we want to lash out, when our instinct is to defend, when our instinct is to protect, when our instinct is to do all these things, Lord, I pray that in the darkness our light would shine with agape. That, Lord, your love would pour through us and shine through us. And as we act in faith, trusting the instruments, even when guilt wants to take over, we trust the instruments. And that you would renew to us and restore to us and prove to us that we are truly loved by the Father. And that guilt has no place because we act in love as we are loved. And we thank you for the promises that you have given us, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before I hand it over to Ty... I want to take this opportunity to ask you, if you have never given your heart to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. We talked about how Jesus willingly laid his life down for us. The God of the universe, who created you, who designed everything, the, the, the breath that you breathe is because of his very will. We can't, my heart won't beat one more time if it wasn't for the will of God. This same God who designed it all, put it all together, came for you that you would know him. And he died for you so that you could have eternal life. And this morning I want to tell you that you can know him. He has died for you and he loves you desperately. We just talked about all these loves. He loves you so much. And he wants you to know him. So can we bow our heads and close our eyes very briefly as we close right now? And if you're in this room and you have not given your heart to God and said, I want that love. I want to experience that love. Maybe you've never experienced a love like it. Maybe you have walked a very lonely, painful life. And you don't know how to trust that kind of love. Can I tell you that the love of the Father will transform your entire world? He has a perfect love. Not one based on contingencies, not based on 
what you can do for him, but rather how much he loves you. And no matter how far you've been from God, maybe you've been really running from God really hard the other way. You're just, whatever I can do to live on my own terms, and it's time to come back to him. If that's you this morning, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, will you raise your hand and raise it high? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, you can put your hands down. Father, I pray with those that raise their hands and those that right now you're working on their hearts, Lord. I pray that we would continue to be drawn to the Father, that your love would not, your love does not come up short, but Lord, that we would engage and embrace the love of the Father. And Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. Church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me with your love. I believe that you came that I could have life. You died for me so that I could live. So today I give you my heart. I make you my king. Jesus, you are my Lord. From this day forward, I will follow you every day of my life. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Pastor Ty. Well, good morning, church. I get the great privilege of walking us through our connection card before we talk about a few announcements. Uh, quick question. How many, how many nerds do we have in here? Come on. You can be honest. Some of you are already married. It's all right. You can let it out. Um, there's this new show on Disney Plus called The Book of Boba Fett. I love it. It's super cool. I get to see like one of my favorite Star Wars characters come back. And in, spoiler alert, in one of the latest episodes, he's in a battle, and uh, this guy named the Mandalorian's with him, and he's like, hey, we're hopelessly outnumbered, uh, we're going to die, if you want to leave, you can leave, and the other guy looks at him and he says, I made a commitment, and I'm going to stay, whether that means we die together or not, and he's like, why would you do that? He's like, that's our belief, this is the way. And so he's totally caught off guard, but these guys end up fighting, um, it's super cool, but it just reminded me of this quote that I love that says, do you know who the most dangerous person in the world is? It's the soldier that already considers himself dead. And so we as Christians, what we can take away from this is saying that this, this is my belief. This is my, these are my values. This is what God has told me to do. And I'm going to do it whether it costs me or not. It's really easy for us to say, I believe this, but if we really want to say, if we really want to show that we believe it, it's shown through our actions. It's easy for me to say, hey, um, you know, I love my wife, but if you were looking at my life and I showed in my actions everything but love for my wife, you'd be like, I know you're saying that, but is that, is that true? It's easy for me to have the warm fuzzies for my daughter, Thea, when she's being cute and smiling at me, but when she's screaming bloody murder in the middle of the night, it's, it's, it's a commitment. I'm saying, hey, I, I love you, even though I'm not feeling warm fuzzies when you're screaming in my face in the middle of the night. It's hard. Love costs. Love isn't, like Pastor Brent said, love isn't an emotional experience. We get those from time to time, and that's amazing. But love is commitment. And commitment comes at a cost. So this morning, I want to get really practical with us. It's really easy to make this some proverbial thing. I'm going to love everyone in the world, and that's, you should, and that's awesome. But let's make it really practical today. On your connection cards, I want you to write the one person this week that you want to show love to. Now, Spouses, I'm going to make it really easy for you. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. I think you know who you need to do that for. But uh, 
For a lot of us, uh, maybe that's a neighbor that just rubs us the wrong way. I have a neighbor that lets their uh, dog use my yard as a, as a bathroom. It's a little hard to show love to him sometimes. But I have a choice in that. It's, uh, so for each one of us, I just want us to write down uh, one name of a person that we're going to, to show love to, that we're going to make that commitment to, that I'm going to love you the way that God's called me to, even when it costs. As ushers prepare to come forward, uh, I have a few announcements for you. We're just going to walk right through as you're filling out your connection cards. On February 27th, so that's two weeks from today, we're doing baby dedication. It's going to be really exciting. If you haven't signed up, uh, connect with Pastor Charity. She'd love to, to dedicate your babies. Don't worry, we don't dunk them in any water or anything. It's all right. It's all right. But uh, we're really looking forward to that. What it is, is just a time of us coming forward and saying, hey, I... As, as parents and as a church, we're agreeing that we're going to raise this child in the ways of the Lord. Amen. That we as a community are surrounding them, saying that we're going to do everything in our power to influence them towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's February 27th. If you haven't signed up and you want to, go ahead and sign up. If you just want to see the cute little babies, make sure you're there. It's going to be awesome. Uh, next announcement is... That's it. Awesome. So that's... Let me pray for you guys. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Brent. God, right now, I'm thankful for this church. We love you, God. We are so blessed to just be able to come forward and worship you each and every second of the day. God, I just am thinking of the Old Testament on how people had to come and a priest had to mediate between them and you. They'd, they'd have to go through all of these things just to be in good standing with you. And even then, they wouldn't always experience your presence. God, I thank you that we have the privilege, the blessing, just to walk boldly before your throne. That Jesus came and made a way so that we could be in friendship with you. That we don't have to go through some crazy process. We don't have to ask Pastor Brent to mediate between us and you. But God, we can have that close personal relationship. God, I thank you as we learned about love and commitment and, and following your ways. That God, you didn't just give us these laws, but you lived them out as an example unto us. God, that you made a way for us to live them out through your blood and your sacrifice. God, I pray that we would look to you as the ultimate example and that when love begins to cost us, we would say, this is the way. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. This, this morning we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Um, we have th three different ways of giving. We can give uh, in person through your tithing envelope, online at nlcchurch.com slash give or text to give. Just text the dollar amount you want to give to 84321. We have several people to give in that way. Um, let's just worship the King through our giving. Our giving is a means of worship. And so right now, let's give with faith. Let's give with thanks. Uh, let's lift the name of Jesus. And Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Let's stand together and sing that again. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. People from every, people from every nation and tongue. From generation to generation, we worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we worship you for who you are. 
praise you. Jesus, we love you this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us, everyone. We're going to be baptizing some folks second service here. So if you want to stick around after the first song, we are going to be baptizing some people. God bless. Have a great week.